0: Well, good morning again, St. Mark. How you guys doing? Everybody doing all right? It really looks great in here. I mean, it's, it's wonderful what you've done to this place. Um, so beautiful. Um, also appreciate you guys giving me a chance to come here and share God's word with you this morning. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, Frank, you look good. See, there's three ages of man. There's there's youth and there's middle age. And then there's, you look good. (laughs) Let's pray as we get started with this today. Father, we thank you so much for this amazing privilege and honor and responsibility to come together as your people, to come together as the church and to gather around your word and your promises, the things that you've told us to do, the promises that you've told us to believe. Father, I pray that you would give us great comfort this morning. I pray that you would challenge us with the hard truth of your word. But Lord, the text that is before us today is so incredibly challenging And it is so incredibly comforting that I just pray that the Holy Spirit would just fill us and move among this place today and change us into the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Someone once noticed, the Beatles said, all you need is love, just before they broke up. Whitney Houston said, the greatest love of all is learning to love yourself. Then she died of a drug overdose. I've often said that I love ice cream. I love lasagna and beer. But they do not love me back, not even a little bit. It's definitely an abusive relationship I have with those things. I should probably get a restraining order According to poets, authors, songwriters, and all the major religions of the world, love is the most important thing there is. But what is it? What is love? Don't hurt me. Baby, don't hurt me. No more. Actually, here's the thing. Love is usually confused with desire. Infatuation, lust. The word love is mostly used to describe the powerful feeling and emotion associated with something or someone we want to possess, to make our own. We mistake love for the pleasure we get from those things. Well, Jesus said, Love is the whole point of everything. What's the most important commandment? What's the most important thing God told us to do? To love him in response to his love for us. To love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? And then he said a really close runner-up to that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And by neighbor... He made it clear that he meant anyone who happens to get your attention. And then, after the Last Supper, just before he showed us what ultimate love actually looks like, he said, I have a new commandment for you. Love one another the way I have loved you. And then he laid down his life for us. He's like, love one another like that. So, love is giving, it's not taking. Love is sacrifice. Love is something we do for other people, even when we don't feel like it, especially when we don't feel like it, which kind of means that most of the love songs have got it backward. The Bible is perfectly clear. We're supposed to love one another. What's not so clear to most of us, though, is how to do that, what it means to love. The Bible tells us that God is love. And most of us have a backward understanding of that, too. Because instead of looking to God to understand what love is, we look to our understanding of love to understand who God is. And that's not going to work. God is love. But love is not God. We don't look at how we feel about lasagna to understand how we're supposed to feel about Jesus. Earlier we had a reading from Revelation chapter 3 about the church in Laodicea. It's probably the most famous of the seven churches. Kind of hard to forget about that line where Jesus spits them out of his mouth, right? Laodicea, the lukewarm church. See, that should be a contradiction, an oxymoron. The church should never be lukewarm, passionless. There's no room for meh in the kingdom of God. The church is supposed to be known for love, for what we love, for who we love, how we love. Jesus doesn't have anything good at all to say to the church at Laodicea. He says he wants them to be either be either be hot or cold. This room temperature indifference is not going to work. I love coffee and I love tea too, but I love coffee a lot more. You can't make either one of those things with lukewarm water. If you try, it's just going to be gross. You ever open up an ice-cold carbonated can of your favorite beverage and then let it sit overnight? How refreshing is it in the morning? Nope, it's disgusting. Anytime I've got an ache or a pain, I call my doctor, He he always says one of two things. He either tells me to put ice on it or to put heat on it. Sometimes he tells me to put both on it. But you know what he never tells me? He never says, hey, put a room temperature towel on it or something, because that's not going to do anything, either hot or cold. I think that's how love works too. Jesus said to the church in Laodicea that those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Now I don't know if that's Jesus being hot or cold. But it's certainly not room temperature. Love is never room temperature. At New Church, we've been going through 1 Corinthians line by line, chapter by chapter, and it's been awesome. It's been eye-opening. Paul keeps coming back to the idea that the only thing we need to know is the gospel, that Jesus gave his life for us, Christ and him crucified. That's all we need to know, which doesn't mean it's the only theological fact we need to remember, but it does mean that the act of Jesus laying down his life for us, that's how we should understand everything else, especially love, because the greatest gift from God is love. First Corinthians 13 is probably, probably the most beautiful chapter in the entire Bible. Preaching on this chapter makes me really happy. (laughs) The absolute necessity of love. Verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So speaking in tongues was apparently something that the super spiritual were abusing in the Corinthian church. Tongues is another way of saying languages. So some people in their church had a supernatural ability to speak in languages they didn't actually know. Now, Paul's laying it on pretty thick here to make a point, but you have to appreciate the way he doesn't just scold them. He says everything in first person, kind of softens it up. Even if I, if God gives me the supernatural ability to just start speaking in a language I don't know, even if it's the heavenly language of angels, which would be pretty cool. I would probably think I really had something going on there, right? But if I don't have love while I'm doing this, I might as well be a bunch of irritating noise. The pagan temples in Corinth, they were noisy places. A lot of bronze gongs and cymbals were constantly clanging. Also, Corinth was known for making really loud bronze instruments. But without love, my cool superpower of speaking in heavenly languages would just be a bunch of noise. Sound and fury signifying nothing. Then he goes on to say... If I had prophetic powers, if God actually speaks through me, again, he's laying it on really thick. If I understand all mysteries, if I'm not only the smartest guy in the room, but I actually do know everything, like I'm a bona fide Mr. Know-it-all, I'd probably think I was really something, right? Wouldn't you? Well, Paul says, without love... I'm nothing. The next one is pretty surprising, though, because even if I have all the faith in the world, like if I have enough faith to remove mountains without love, that's nothing. Having faith isn't the point. Demons completely believe in God. Remember, Jesus said, if you have the tiniest little bit of faith, like a mustard seed you'd be able to move mountains. But without love, that doesn't mean anything. Even if you lay down your life, give away everything you own, but somehow you're managing to do all that without love, selfishly, begrudgingly, in anger, you wouldn't gain anything. It doesn't do any good. That's pretty heavy. Jesus said, Some people were going to prophesy in his name, call him Lord. And then when they stood before him, he was going to look them in the face and say, I don't know you. You're not welcome here. That's what Paul's talking about. Anyone who does anything without love, they're not doing it for God, they're not doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. They're not doing it as a Christian. So I think it might be a good idea for all of us here this morning to pay attention to what the Bible says love is and what it isn't. This is what it actually means to love. This is the character of love. Verse 4 Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now see right there, that's a big old pile of counter-cultural thinking. None of us are naturally wired to be like that. We pretty much think that we fall in love with people, like with hearts dancing around our head like some kind of cartoon. We think we're in love with someone as long as we like the way they look, the way they make us feel, as long as we don't have to be too patient with them, as long as they are kind to us, as long as they're not rude to us, as long as they don't insist on their own way, as long as they don't irritate us too much. We tend to say we love someone As long as we think they have something we want, as long as they make us feel good about ourselves. Well, Paul says we got it all backward. This gift of love that comes from God, it's not the same thing as our sentimental, romantic notions of modern love. Any love that's based on our desires. And our appetites, it's going to lead us to all kinds of bad ideas. Because actual love is not selfish. Self-serving imitations of love, that's going to lead us to every kind of sin. Paul says, the love that comes from God is absolutely not about celebrating sin. God's love is about truth. And since God is love, Paul's actually describing the character of God when he describes love. And every one of those 15 descriptive words, every one of those words is a verb. Sometimes in our English Bibles, it resorts to using adjectives to translate those words. But in Greek, those are all verbs. Those are all action words. Actions for the benefit of other people. Love is something we have to do for others. Love bears all things. It puts up with all that stuff you don't like. It's not short tempered. Love is kind, it treats people with kindness. Love believes all things. It stays on the grace side of the fence. Love takes people at their word, and it holds on to God's word even when we're tempted to doubt. Love believes in people even when they're not acting faithfully, even when they're not particularly believable. Love hopes all things because our hope is in Jesus. And he's the one who promises that this whole thing, our life, all of this, it's going somewhere good. Love endures all things because we know there will be an end to all this trauma and pain. Jesus said he's going to return. He's going to make everything new. He's going to set everything right, which means you can love people and put up with all the ways they disappoint you because you know it's not going not going to last forever you can love people who disappoint you because God loves you and he puts up with all the ways you disappoint him the permanence of love verse 8 love never ends as for prophecies they will pass away as for tongues they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. God's love isn't going anywhere. There's no end to love. God is love, so love is eternal. When Jesus returns and all of us are resurrected, in glorious new bodies, the new heavens and the new earth, when our hope in Christ is completely realized, when all the mysteries are going to be revealed, there won't be any need for prophecy or speaking in tongues, because the perfect state that all those things we're talking about will have happened. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. It's a reference to the second coming of Jesus, the perfect kingdom of Christ. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. The greatest of these is love. When the perfect kingdom of heaven comes, it's going to be as different from the world as we currently know it, as childhood was from adulthood. Compared to what it'll be like when Christ returns, we're all just a bunch of little kids fighting over a swing on the playground, just trying to get our way. Our understanding of who we are in Christ, how God sees us because of Jesus, it's as distorted as our reflection would be in an antique bronze mirror When the perfect kingdom of Christ comes, our understanding of God's love for us, what love actually is, it'll be like the comparison of what we see when we look in a dark, distorted mirror compared to seeing someone face to face in the light of day. Right now, we know in part, we have a glimpse of the glory of God, the love of God, the way he sees us through grace. But man, one day, we'll see all that for what it actually is. We'll know, even as we've been known, a clear reflection of who we are in Christ because of the perfect love of God. Until then, we got three things, three things we can hold on to. Faith hope, and love. One day we won't need faith because we'll see God face to face. We won't need hope because we'll have everything we ever hoped for. But love, it's not going anywhere. Love's going to be with us forever. Real love. God's love. So, Paul says we might want to start practicing now. We should start loving one another. Because love is the law. Love is God's will. It's not just a suggestion. Love is a command. Love one another. You know, this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, it's read at a lot of weddings, which is fine. But it's not only talking about the love between a husband and a wife. This is the calling of all Christians to all people. So let's do a little experiment. I want you to think of someone in your life who's hard to love. Think of the person in this church who drives you a little bit crazy. Think of someone who's disappointed you, someone who's let you down. And we're gonna replace the word love in verses four through seven with ourself, and we're going to think about how we treat that person. So let's do this together, out loud. Think of that person, the first one that came to mind. Let's say this together. I am patient and kind with them. I do not want what they have or think I'm better than they are. I am not rude to them. I let them have their own way. I am not irritated by them, and I do not keep a record of how they have wronged me. I do not rejoice when they get what's coming to them, but love to share the truth with them. I will never give up on them. I hold on to my faith in Jesus no matter what. I am always hopeful. I keep following him faithfully no matter what they say or do to me hmm, is that a fact? Are you willing to put your right hand on a Bible and say all that again? Because I'm not. You know, sometimes in marriage counseling, I'll have the couple read verses 4 through 7 and replace the word love with their own name. And most people are reduced to a puddle of tears when they do that. Because we don't love like this not even close. We're all way too selfish and impatient. If love is the will of God, and this is what love is supposed to look like, then I think this is probably the most powerful confession tool that exists. God says if we humble ourselves and we confess our sin, then he's faithful and just to forgive us. We just got to be willing to call it like it is. So let's try this again. But this time, let's tell the truth. Let's say this together out loud as a prayer, as a confession. Forgive me, Lord. I have not been patient and kind to the people in my life. I have been envious and prideful. I have been arrogant and rude. I have been selfish and insisted on my own way. I have been irritable and resentful. I have been too comfortable with my sin. And I have ignored the truth. I have given up on people. I have given in to doubt. I have lost sight of hope. And I have not been faithful. Wow. That's a lot. We're not very good people, are we? You know what God's response to us admitting how bad we are is? When we put down our pride and we come to him with complete humility and honesty when we confess our sin? His response is, I know. I forgive you. I love you anyway. You know why? because he is love. Everything in that list is a description of his character. It's who he is. That should be very comforting to you because God is patient and kind with you. He's not petty. He's not arrogant or prideful or rude. Jesus humbled himself and submitted to the Father All the way to the cross for you. He's long suffering with you. You don't irritate him. He doesn't hold anything against you. The whole point of the gospel is that he doesn't keep a record of your wrongs. He also doesn't rejoice when you do wrong things and you have to deal with the consequences. That doesn't make him happy. He shows you mercy. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's never going to give up on you. He's going to be faithful and loyal no matter what. It's who God is. God is love. The Lord doesn't count your sin against you because of Jesus. Your sin was nailed to the cross. God remembers your sin no more. And why does he do all this for you? What's his motive? You know. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will never die. His motive was love. And I think we should have a little better understanding of what love is now. Love is action. Love is sacrifice. Jesus said to the church in Laodicea that he stands at the door of their lukewarm church and he knocks. Now, they were a wealthy church. They were self-sufficient. They were complacent. Their love was room temperature. Jesus said they needed to open the door and let him back in. They were a lot like us. They were attempting to try his patience, testing his kindness, saying and doing irritating things. You know how we are, right? But Jesus stands there and he knocks anyway. He loved them anyway. And he loves you anyway. Believe in Jesus and there is no condemnation for you. That's the gospel truth. That's your hope. Hold on to that hope until you don't need it anymore. Until the day when you stand before Jesus face to face and he looks at you and he says, I sure do love you. I sure do love you. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, man, thank you for loving us. For seeing us as lovable. Because we don't feel lovable most of the time. We don't act lovable most of the time. Thank you for loving us anyway. And for seeing us through the perfect love of Jesus. Lord, I ask that you would fill us with your spirit. You would give us love so that we can love each other. I mean, really love each other. Hot and cold. May our love never be room temperature. Help us to live in your love and to live out your love. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.